we've been saying um, each Sunday that the Christian story is a story of hope. It's a story of hope. And what makes it a story of hope uh, is that it's not just our story and it's not just the story of the world, but it's God's story. That, um, like, one of the... Um, one of the amazing uh, declarations of the gospel is that in Jesus, God has taken our stories and, and made them his own in Jesus. And so um, this morning, we're going to go to the opening of the New Testament, to the, to the opening of Matthew. And you might remember it begins with a genealogy. It's just this long list of names, and it's the kind of passage that you might be tempted to skip right over if you were reading the Bible on your own. Uh, hey, hey! One good reason to come to church. Sometimes you hear genealogies. <laughs> uh, what we'll see, though, is that right here from the very beginning, um, Matthew is preaching good news to us, and it's news that is meant to fill us with hope. Uh, he's helping us to see the width and the depth and the length of God's mercy in Jesus. And as we do, I think what I hope we'll see is that we have reason never to lose hope. Um, not for others, not for ourselves, and not for God. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll read this passage together. Father, we are grateful for your word, even, even the parts of it that to us might at first glance seem uninteresting and laborious. But we, we thank you for it. We know that your love for us is in it. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you open our hearts and our minds and um, be with me in my weakness as I preach, and help us all to see Jesus a little more clearly and to trust him more in this. For we pray it in his name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz and Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad. And that's probably, that's probably not the right way to say that one. Uh, Eliad, maybe, the father of Eleazar, 
and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, doesn't that just fill you with hope? It should. It should. Um, how, how does this genealogy fill us with hope? Um, it shows us the width of God's mercy. It shows us the width of God's mercy. You know, genealogies like this were um, pretty common in ancient Middle Eastern cultures. But this gene- genealogy stands out in a couple of really significant ways that, that help us to see just the, the vastness, the broadness of God's saving purposes. Um, first, it's, it's really unusual that uh, Matthew includes women on his list. Did you notice the women? Uh, when Luke gives his genealogy, there are no women included. Um, it's a list of 76 men. It's uh, a lot of guys. Um, another ancient genealogy begins with these words, let us now praise the famous men. And then it just goes on doing exactly that, praising the famous men. You get a long list of men. This guy begat that guy who begat that guy. Uh, and no women mentioned at all. And that's typically the way that these ancient genealogies would go. And it makes sense that patriarchal societies where one's lineage was traced through the men, not through the women, would produce genealogies like that. But Matthew uh, goes out of his way to include, along with the 40 men he lists, four women. And Mary at the end brings it to five women. And this would have been pretty surprising to Matthew's first readers. Why is he doing this? Like, why is Matthew going out of his way to include women on Jesus' family tree? Why is he going out out of his way to make sure that we remember these women, that we know their names? Because who he's from shows us who he's for. Remember that? Who he's from shows us who he's for. Matthew wants to see that when God makes our story his own in Jesus Christ, it really is our story. It's our story together. It's not just the story of some famous guys. Um, Jesus is not just bringing hope for men, but he's bringing hope for us. He's bringing hope for men and women together. Now, for us today, that's probably pretty obvious. But remember uh, that Matthew lived in a society where men ruled and women were considered second-class citizens at best. And, and Matthew, in, in his patriarchal society, he's saying, um, look, like women are central to God's saving plan for bringing the Messiah into the world. Um, he, he's saying, look, God's mercy through Jesus is for women just as much as it's for men. You know, so many people... Um, are quick to dismiss the Bible for being really regressive and outdated and wrong on, on all kinds of fronts. But, but here, like, it explodes the rigid boundaries of the time about men and women. I mean, and, and this is, uh, like, kind of consistent through a lot of the New Testament. Like, time and time again, women are given extraordinary roles to play in God's saving plan. Remember, it's, it's women who are the first witnesses uh, at the resurrection. Historical record suggests that 
um, in the early years of the church, women responded to the good news about Jesus in much greater numbers than men did, and that they were largely responsible for just the rapid explosion of the church in the first few centuries. See, the kingdom that um, Jesus brings is a different kind of kingdom. It's, it's the kind of kingdom in which Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's not male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Like, God's mercy family is wide. It's wide. Here's a second way Matthew's genealogy preaches the wideness of God's mercy to us. Um, not only does Matthew include these four women, but did you notice not one of them is ethnically Jewish? Not one. <laughs> there, uh, Tamar was most, most likely a Canaanite. Rahab was a Jerichoite. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba was a Hittite. Sounds like a good insult. Bathsheba, I don't know. Stick, stick, stick to the script. All right. Um, the point is, the point is uh, they are all outsiders. They're all outsiders. Not one of them was a child of Abraham, but here they're all included in the covenant promises of God, and, and they become instruments through which the blessing flows. God's mercy claims each one of them. And Matthew shows us that Jesus comes from them just as much as he comes from guys like Abraham and David. See, who he's from shows us who he's for. Um, see, the mercy of Christmas is so wide. Who is it for? Who is it for? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. Remember, um, God promised Abraham that through him and his offspring, every nation would be blessed. God's plan was, was never only for Israel. It was always for um, like the entire the entire world. And, and so even the way Matthew structures his gospel is really significant. I mean, he starts here with this racially diverse genealogy. Uh, and then you remember how he closes his gospel? He closes with Jesus giving the Great Commission, um, sending his disciples to make disciples of all the nations, sending them to the very ends of the earth. It's like God's mercy is as wide as the whole world. In, in family D.C., that means that there is hope, that there is hope for absolutely everyone. I mean, this genealogy reminds us that God's, that God's love and mercy is always wider than we expect. It, it always includes the people we might want to exclude. It's like um, God just doesn't care that much about the boundaries that we like to create. Uh, he, his love and his mercy is never content to stop with this particular in-group or that one. The, the people we leave out, he wants to bring in. Uh, the people we push away, he wants to draw close. Uh, he's holding out hope for the people that we've given up on. God is holding out hope for the people we've given up on. Who he's from shows us who he's for. I wonder, I wonder where you're tempted to draw boundaries for the mercies of God. Um, I wonder where you, I, I wonder who you've stopped hoping for. Who have you stopped hoping for? Who have you given up on? Um, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a whole group of people. Maybe it's an enemy. Who have you given up on? Who have you stopped hoping for? This Christmas, I wonder how might how God might. Um, expand our sights to see those we usually overlook. See, Matthew could have easily overlooked these women. 
even if he was intent on including women, he could have gone with like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. Like those are the obvious choices. But he goes with Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. The genealogy shows us the width of God's mercy, and that means, family, that there is always reason to hope for anyone, for everyone. Who he's from shows us who he's for. Um, his mercy is so wide. Do you see it? It's so wide. I mean, there is always reason to hope for others. So the genealogy shows us the width of God's mercy. It also shows us the depth of God's mercy, and that means that there's always reason for you to hope for yourself. There's always reason for you to hope for yourself. Let's look at how we see this. Um, You know, the particular characters that Matthew includes, they remind us, of God's faithfulness, uh, but at the same time, they remind us of our unfaithfulness. The New Testament scholar Richard Hayes, he says, the genealogy here functions for the reader who remembers the complexity of the stories evoked by Matthew's list of names as a long and tortured narrative in which Israel sees its corporate sins reflected. So, so what, I mean, the genealogy, it's, it's calling to mind the painful, sinful history of God's people. Let's recall just some of the details together. Um, Tamar, you remember this story. Elizabeth Hayes actually preached a really excellent sermon on Tamar back in July, and so it might be relatively fresh in your minds, but uh, Tamar was married to the eldest of three brothers, and when the first brother died, the second brother took her as his wife, which was the custom But then he also died, and Tamar was still childless, and so uh, normally the third brother would marry her at that point, but he was too young to marry her. So Judah, Tamar's father-in-law, the the father of that third brother, promised that when that youngest son was old enough that he would marry her. Well, Judah broke this promise, and, and that put Tamar in this extremely vulnerable position without a husband and with no with no offspring and so you remember what she does she dresses up like a prostitute and she tricks judah into sleeping with her and judah does it and tamar gets pregnant and matthew is intentionally calling all of that mess to mind Um, you see here are the heroes of the faith through whom the messiah comes god's mercy is so deep what about rahab well she wasn't pretending to be a prostitute she was one and she becomes part of Jesus' family tree. Matthew wants us to see it. He wants us to remember it. God's mercy is so deep. It's so deep. Um, David, the mighty King David. You remember him, the man after God's own heart? You remember he was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. <laughs> and, and Matthew so easily could have said by the by. Uh, Bathsheba, but then we might conveniently forget that Bathsheba was another man's wife. Um, And and you remember the story. David sees her bathing on a roof, and in a matter of moments, he just breaks like all ten of the commandments. Uh, And he is literally the best king that Israel gets. And it's all downhill after David. And, And Matthew is saying, just remember, these are the heroes of the faith through whom our Messiah comes. It's not just the sins of individuals that Matthew wants us to remember. It's the national sins. It's the corporate ones. The structure of the genealogy, it reminds us that from David on, uh, God's people 
Time and time again, they embrace injustice, all kinds of injustice. They embrace idolatry. And the result of that is that the kingdom goes into decline and it kind of just gets worse and worse until God's people are exiled and taken into captivity in Babylon. And so Matthew, he, he wants Israel to remember, yeah, remember when things got so bad that you were just like cast out of the land and exiled into Babylon? You see, he's very intentionally reminding us of how badly the story has gone. He was, he's reminding us that the heroes of, of the faith, I mean, they aren't really heroes at all. The best we can do is Abraham and David and Rahab and Tamar, and these folks were just really mixed bags. You know, kind of like you. <laughs> and and, and, and kind of like me. Um, but all of it shows us how deep God's mercy is. Who Jesus is from shows us who he's for. He's, he's from Abraham. He's from David and Bathsheba. He's also from Tamar and Judah and Rahab. Some of you think maybe that you have outsinned the grace of God. Uh, you think that his mercy can't possibly be for you. When you look at your own story, you see so much regret so much to regret. You see so many disappointments. You see so many failures. You see, you see so many places of darkness. And, and this makes it hard to have hope. But family, look at what God can do. Look at what God can do. I mean, have you slept with your daughter-in-law? Don't answer out loud. Have you, have you slept with your daughter-in-law? Have you played the part of a prostitute to secure some stability for yourself? Have you killed a man so that you could take his wife as your own? See, probably not. But you see, none of that, none of that is deeper than God's mercy. Not only can he forgive it, but he can bring good out of it. Um, he can literally take Israel's broken, messed up story and through it, bring about the salvation of the world. That's intense redemption. I wonder, what are the places of failure and brokenness in your particular story? What are the places of failure and brokenness in your story? What are the places of deep hurt? The places of deep disappointment and shame? I mean, do you dare believe that God can redeem it? That God can take that brokenness and work something good and beautiful out of it? The incarnation shows us that that's exactly what God wants to do. <laughs> he wants to take our stories, even the worst, most painful parts, and just make it his. He enters into, into our stories to work salvation and redemption. Family, God's mercy goes so deep. It goes so deep. It's deeper than our personal transgressions. It's deeper than our corporate sins. God is able to... Um, take the mess, the absolute worst of what we have to offer, um, and to redeem it, to heal it, to work goodness out of it. Um, he's able to look at the mess and say, like, these are the people I want in my family tree. Who he's from shows us who he's for. You know, this genealogy ends with Jesus, but Jesus' family tree doesn't stop with him. If he wants guys like Abraham and David and his family, and if he wants women like Tamar and Rahab, then don't you know he wants you to? Don't you know that? If he can work redemption through their messed up stories, don't you know he can work redemption in and through yours?
See, there is always reason to have hope for yourself. There's always reason to have hope for yourself. So Matthew's showing us the width of God's mercy. He's showing us the unfathomable depth of it. Um, It's an immeasurably wide, unfathomably deep. Um, It's wide enough and deep enough for you and for me. But we also see here the length of God's mercy. You know, in Genesis 12, um, God made that extraordinary promise to Abraham. He says that he will bless him, that he will make his name great so that uh, he will be a blessing. God says, God says to Abraham, like, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when God made that promise to Abraham, uh, I bet Abraham was hoping that he would see the fulfillment of it a little sooner. A little sooner. But what did he have to do? He had to wait. He had to wait for it. As did everyone else in the family tree who came after him. You know, they all waited in hope for the promises of God to be fulfilled. The author of Hebrews, looking back on this long story, uh, he writes, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. You see, family, God takes his time. He takes his time. God's mercy is wide and deep, but it's also long. Generations upon generations, just waiting and waiting for the Messiah to to come, waiting for God to make good on his promises, waiting for God to work redemption out of just this messy, complicated, dark history. And then finally, Christmas. Finally, this little baby is born. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But for now, we've got to say, not finally. Because it's Advent, and we're still waiting for the return of our king. You know, on Wednesday, if you were, uh, if you joined us for the Hope Talk, you might remember that Kelly Capick said that, that hope and faith, they always go together. I mean, they're, they're inseparable. That, that hope is really about trusting someone. Like, uh, you can have hope when, you've, when you have a relationship of trust with someone who has made good on promises in the past, and so you have reason to, to believe and to hope that they'll make good on promises in the future. I wonder where you are with this. Um, can you trust a God whose mercy takes so long? And can you continue to hope in him? Remember the measure of his mercy. It's immeasurably wide. It's unfathomably deep. It might be longer than we want. It so often is longer than we want, isn't it? Just say, man. We wait and we wait and we wait. God takes his time. But the promise is that his return is as sure as Christmas. I mean, his second coming is as certain as his first. The second advent will happen. He will come again. And in the meantime, maybe we can learn to say with the author of Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. We're waiting for an ultimate mercy, but um, we don't have to wait for God's mercy. They are new this morning. They're new for you this day. Great is your faithfulness. The author of Lamentations goes on, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is our portion, family. Hope in him. Hope in him. Let's pray, and then we'll come to this table.